Today is an individual message before we get into a new series next Sunday morning. I want to talk to you about how the light gets in. And to illustrate this, I want to play a video from a song done by Leonard Cohen. It's called Anthem. And I want you to look for some of the lyrics to tell us a little bit about those times in our life when we think we had everything figured out and then all of a sudden there's a new light of inspiration and illumination that comes in. Let's watch. The birds they sing Start again I heard them say Don't dwell On what has passed away Or what is yet to be Yeah, the war They will be fought again Holy dove, she will be cut again. Bond and soul and bought again. The dove is never free. Ring the bells, let's tell.
up the march There is no drone Every heart Every heart to love will come But like a refugee Leonard Cohen is probably more familiar to you with the song Hallelujah that has had a bunch of different cover artists that have uh, sung that song. This is kind of a half poem, half song, and it's written in such a way that it promotes kind of the thinking, what is he talking about in some of these verses? But what I want to do is I want to hitchhike on this part of this poem song. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So when we think about religion, many times what we are thinking about are systems that people like to enclose in such a way that no light or further revelation is allowed to leak into that system. And a lot of times people will protect that form of religion with all of their might. Leonard Cohen is a Jewish artist, and he was inspired by what is called Jewish uh, uh, Kabbalistic mysticism. And that is uh, the idea of God is still working, God is still speaking, God is not stuck in the past, that God is still in process of showing us things at times, and at, at, at moments when we least expect it, that's when the light creeps in. Cohen's anthem is talking really about the acceptance of imperfection. And that is a part of life. Nothing is perfect. There's always elements to it that can be improved. However, it is in that imperfection many times that we see things that we might not be able to see any other way. So when you hear this concept of Jewish mysticism, don't get all freaked out by it. It's this idea that where is God in the midst of our lives today? Is he continuing to show us things maybe that we were blind to previously? So today what I want us to do is contrast this idea 
between control and certainty versus being open to a couple of things that I think we must all come to grips with. And that is this ongoing process whereby God continues to show us that we can learn and that we can grow. And to get to that, I want us to think for a moment about that mo- a time when the early followers of Jesus heard him say to them, come follow me. So you have fishermen, you have a tax collector, you have a zealot, a real mixture of different types of people. I wonder what they were thinking when Jesus said, come follow me. And to the fishermen he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so they begin to follow him, they begin to listen to him teach, and then all of a sudden there were things that Jesus said that I wonder if they heard that initially, whether they would have made that bold approach of stepping out and following Jesus. Because there were times that Jesus often used, and these are two key words this morning, mystery and paradox. He often used paradox and mystery in communicating. So let me show you what I mean here. So here is Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to each of us, and he says things like, the first shall be last. Huh? There's a little bit of mystery to that, right? Or in the passage that I read a moment ago out of John chapter 3, you must be born again. What does that mean? Even Nicodemus didn't get it. Nicodemus will push back on that like a good rabbi, and he'll say, no one can re-enter their mother's womb and be born a second time, right? He missed the point completely. Or how about this? Jesus says, love your enemies. And of course, people would go, are you crazy? There are enemies. Go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of these things are types of teaching that Jesus gave that are full of paradox and mystery. Jesus says things like, put your sword away, Peter. Those who live by the sword will die by it. And I'm sure the disciples were often confused and conflicted because everything Jesus was saying in the course of following him went against conventional thinking at times. So what I want us to do is not walk away from the teachings of Jesus. There were many who did. Jesus met a rich young ruler one time, and he comes to Jesus and said, tell me, teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus looked at him, and he said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Go sell everything you have, give it away, and come follow me. And this rich young man turned around and he walked away. It was too big of a price. Paradox and mystery are often the things that capture our attention, but at times leave us confused. Religion, in and of itself, many times is full of paradox. So let me go back to this. I want to use this idea here. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Paradox is one of those things that 
we often scratch our head and we wonder, how can this be true? Because a paradox are two things or more that are apparently contradictory. They're true at the same time, but how do they fit together? Oddly, what we find is paradox makes sense on a deeper level if we will only take the time and be patient enough to get to that. So think about some of the paradox that's found within Christianity. Every religion has some paradox in it. Jesus is fully God and fully man. God is one God in three persons, the Trinity. God is good and all-powerful, we say, and yet there is suffering and evil in the world. These are paradox. How do these things fit together? How can Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time? How can God be one and yet there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How can we possibly look out on the world that we're in and see all of the suffering that's going on in the world and yet claim that God is good, right? These are paradox. And yet what we find is while paradox is hard, and our natural reflex is either to dismiss it or to try to over-manipulate it and get rid of some of the paradox that's there, what we find is, in the end, faith has paradox in it, and we have to trust what is being said as true, even though we might not know how it fits together. Now, here's the example the second statement, God is one God in three persons. Now, most of us are familiar with the term Trinity. Never appears in the Bible, did you know that? The word Trinity never appears in the Bible, but at times we see God the Creator, we see Jesus the Savior, and we see the Holy Spirit the Helper all being given this divine title of being God in the Scripture. And so the word Trinity was used to try to bring these things together, somehow making this paradox fit. And so what happens many times is we try to visualize it. So I don't know if you've ever seen this. This within the Christian tradition says, okay, if we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet how can he be one God? Well, let's try to visualize it. Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all God. Father's God. Son's God. Spirit is God. But the Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And, and so forth. Does that help? No, it doesn't. It doesn't resolve a thing, does it? But it's a neat graphic, right? So we try to visualize things at times to uh, get our arms around paradox. But at the same time, you cannot really follow Christ without embracing paradox. There are some things that we, on a human level, will never ever be able to put together. And then we use some lame illustrations. If we don't try to visualize it, we try to illustrate it. Oh, yeah, 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 the Trinity. You know, it's just like an egg. An egg has a shell and the white and the yolk, and it it's one egg, okay? All right. That might help a little bit, right? But that doesn't explain it. Or how about water? You can have water as a liquid. You can have water as steam. You can have water as ice. There you go, three different forms of water. Okay, interesting. Doesn't really help, does it? 
on the human level, none of us can really explain paradox. We can't get to the bottom of it and use human language. Maybe part of the problem is our own language. So in English, we have no way of distinguishing between being and person. In the Greek language, you get a little bit closer to it. The one being, God, is energy, force, uh, and light and love. And yet, personhood is found in how that's expressed. God, the creator, speaks and brings things into existence. Jesus, the son, walks among us and does miracles and teaches. And the Holy Spirit prompts us. And at times we have that intuition or that prompting. We don't know where it came from, but we feel God is with us in a moment of need. Paradox. Faith involves paradox. And sometimes there's no way to fully explain it. We try to visualize it. We try to illustrate it. But in the end, we can't really, you know, give an airtight explanation of it. The other thing that faith involves is mystery. Faith has paradox and faith has mystery. Our faith has some elements to it that we cannot fully explain. So let's continue to ride the Trinity concept here. Over the many centuries, the early church held many, many different councils. Occasionally, we'll recite the Apostles' Creed here at Shade Tree, but there have been all kinds of gatherings of bishops that tried to sit down and work out creedal statements. You have the Nicene Creed. Have, has anybody heard of that? You have uh, the Chalcedonian Creed. You have the Athanasian Creed. All of these things, and I'm going to give you an example of this, is trying to figure out mystery. So here is some Trinitarian concepts from the church father Athanasius. In the, the Athanasian Creed, it says things like this. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, never blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Does that help? Doesn't help does it? Even though all of it is a way of trying to get at it, and it goes on and says, well, what, the quality, what quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has, the Father's uncreated, Son's uncreated, Spirit's uncreated, Father's immeasurable, so is the Son, so is the Spirit, Father is eternal, Son's eternal, Spirit is eternal, and yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being, so that there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is one uncreated and immeasurable being. Does that help? Not really. But do you know there were doctrinal wars that occurred over some of these statements? There were some people said, no, nah, I don't believe that. You're a heretic. This is the formal uh, creed of the church, and you have to accept it even if you don't understand it, right? And that's what creeds often do. Uh, they are a way of institutionalizing certain things. And, you know, any new thought, any new movement uh, is always met with suspicion. 
But can I ask you, if God is truly God, can we ever fully understand him in our humanity? No. So maybe it's better than trying to control or have certainty to embrace paradox and mystery. Every religion has formal statements, but many times those formal statements are to try to convince everybody to believe the same thing so that there's some element of control within that religion. But when we see the person of Jesus, when we see the teachings of Jesus, he often offered paradox and mystery. Think about the parables he told. He told stories that were common and down to earth, and yet at the same time many of us go, what did that mean? What did that mean? Think about some of the things that Jesus did. He makes mud and he puts it on the eyes of a blind individual and he receives his sight. And, and then he would do things that would often upset the religious leaders. He would heal on the Sabbath day, which was a Jewish no-no. And all of a sudden, these people are upset with Jesus, and these formal religious authorities, they go, we got to get rid of him. We got to get rid of him, because they would not embrace paradox and mystery. They wanted control and certainty. And what often happens is the more control and certainty that takes place within any religion, the more oppression often uh, takes place within religion as well. Because that doesn't fit within our system. And our system is airtight. And we're not going to allow anything to deviate from that. Well, let's think a moment about Nicodemus again. So I read for you John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Nicodemus is a Jewish teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders that um, had some control over the people. And it's interesting that this text tells us that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he makes this statement, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless you were with him. So all of these miracles that Jesus is doing, right? He has that power from somewhere. He's giving sight to the blind and he's making the uh, lame to walk again and so forth. Where is he getting that power? He's not fitting into our religious system. You see what I'm saying? He's not fitting into our box. And so Nicodemus, not wanting to be recognized, comes to Jesus at night and he asks this question. You know, we know you're a teacher. You're doing some wonderful things. And Jesus says, well... I truly tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, here's what a religion of control often means by this. You've got to get saved. You have to have a religious experience by saying a sinner's prayer. And once you say that prayer, then you become a follower of Jesus, and then we're going to tell you all of the things that are certain. Rather than saying, we're all going to learn together. We're all going to walk on this journey together. We're going to figure out where the light comes in. There's a crack in everything. That's where the light comes in. Now, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
And Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He can't figure out paradox and mystery. And I know that because he says, well, how can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be reborn? Notice Jesus will not say, no, no, Nicodemus, you dummy. That's not what I'm talking about. But he goes on and he says this. Unless someone is born of water and spirit, and there's debate about what that means, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Who, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a statement there. There are certain things that we can understand because we're human beings, but there are some things that are beyond our capacity because it involves God and we can't fully understand God. But God at times will give us some insight. And he uses this metaphor, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, you can't control the wind. If I asked you to take your hand outside and try to grab the wind, you can't grab it, right? But you can feel it. You can feel a strong, windy day. And so it is with the kingdom of God. You can't grab it, you can't control it, but you can feel it. And at times you can see it. And when you see it, does it fit into your box? Or does it break outside your box? And once it breaks outside your box, are you allowing yourself to see the light that comes through the crack? Because there really is a crack in everything. But that sometimes the only way we're able to see that is if we forget our perfect offering. Mankind has been all about trying to offer up the perfect offering to God for generation after generation. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Cain and Abel. And they offer up two things to God. One is accepted, one is rejected, and Cain kills Abel because one was an acceptable sacrifice and one wasn't. Not too long after that, you get the wonderful book of Leviticus that talks about all the offerings and what you need to find acceptance in the eyes of God. And religion does that. <clears throat> How can we find the perfect offering to appease God? And Jesus comes along, and this same young man that wanted to follow Jesus, he says, well, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus looks at him and says, love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are built on these two things, love God, love your neighbor. And all of a sudden, that which was paradox and mystery for centuries comes into clarity when Jesus allows a crack in the perfect system so that the light can creep in. There is a crack in everything. So when you're being told there's a perfect something, you need to be suspicious. Because nothing is perfect in this world. And in every imperfect thing that we experience in this world, there's something to learn, isn't there? There are people you hire to do a certain job and later you go, man, did I make a bad choice there, right? There are moments in life where you go, I never understood that and all of a sudden the light turned on. 
There are experiences in life where if all you are about is certainty and control, <clears throat> you will never ever have that, those experiences to get a glimpse of God doing something new. And so forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's where the light creeps in. Being born of the Spirit, Jesus tells Nicodemus, is hard because you have to give up control and certainty. And God never tells us to pursue control and certainty. And yet that's what often happens in religion. There are courses to try to explain everything. Every imperfection that's found within that religion is somehow explained away. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, he just tells him, you need to, you need to have a fresh start. That you're not going to get where you want to go from here. Sometimes you have to let go of what is safe and familiar. Now we are all aware of the mess that happens when that occurs where we let go of the safe and familiar because it's messy at times. And yet, the way faith works is stepping forward one day at a time and trusting God in the midst of those things. And when we do, sometimes we get a deeper insight. So here's how I want to hopefully give you an illustration of how the light gets in. Okay. There are two things <clears throat> that have been currently going on in our culture. So those of you who watched the Super Bowl last week, did you notice there were a few commercials that uh, went by, he gets us, okay? So it's an attempt, it really is an advertising attempt to try to make Jesus cool and hip and acceptable. So there's these images here of different uh, contemporary cultural images. And then the tagline is, he gets us. Well, who's the he? Jesus gets us. Okay, what you don't know is who's behind those ads. It is a billion, not million, billion dollar campaign. Those commercials during the Super Bowl alone probably cost several million dollars because you, you know the price of commercials. Well, who's in control of these advertisements? If you do a little bit of digging, what you're going to find is that it's far-right religion, okay? That's pouring a lot of money into this to try to make Jesus cool and hip because we're losing a lot of young people, not I mean, there's not a church that is not feeling the effect of young people leaving the church, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to do a billion-dollar campaign, and we're going to invite people to get back into the church. But what they don't know is this cool and hip image is actually being promoted by far-right religion that is trying to bring people under a particular political viewpoint as well. Now you contrast that with something that's been going on for almost two weeks now. 
So down at Asbury University, most Wednesday mornings at Asbury University are like any other, um, you know, every week they have chapel. And so 10 a.m., students will gather in Hughes Auditorium for chapel. And yes, the students are required. That's part of something that they have to do is go to chapel during the course of the semester. But a week and a half ago, this Wednesday was different. After the benediction, the gospel choir sang a song as a final chorus, and then something happened. The students didn't leave. They seemed to be struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful presence of God in their midst, and they didn't want to leave the chapel. Some people began to hear about it as they were there all day long. And they were singing, and they were praying, and they were talking. And there's been a group of students in that chapel that has not left since what will be two weeks this coming Wednesday. This is a picture of thousands of young people that wanted to somehow see what's going on in this huge chapel in Asbury University. No billion dollar campaign, just kind of the movement of the Holy Spirit stirring the hearts of some students. And now there are other university students that are driving across the country to see if they can just be a part of what seems to be God moving in the hearts of a few students that wouldn't leave chapel one morning because they just felt the presence of God there. What a contrast, right? What is going on at Asbury University? Well, I'm going to tell you it's paradox and mystery. How many young people would you know that would stay day after day in the chapel? I don't know many. But somehow God was at work in the moment. And you can't control that. Jesus told Nicodemus, the Spirit moves where the Spirit moves, right? Yeah, you can pour a billion dollars into something. And I want to say, while, yes, Jesus gets us, but do we get Him? Could that billion dollars be used to do the things that Jesus actually did? Help and heal? And to do the type of things that would benefit those that we're going to look at in the weeks ahead in the Gospel of Luke that are on the margins. People that are outcasts and outlaws and outliers. And here's a group that is somehow wanting to get a hold of what God is going on. And every so often, every several generations, God moves sometimes in that way. There is in history what's called the Great Awakening. Right? There were periods of time where God was just doing something. And the key question is whether we're open to it. 
or not, or whether we're going to shut down because we want to keep our certainty and our control in place, rather than saying God is still living and God is still loving and God is still moving in the hearts of young people. They want this to happen. But they're going about it by thinking it's something you can control rather than understanding it's something that God does when God chooses to do it in the lives and hearts of young people. So I hope you see that sometimes the way the light gets in is through other means than what we often want to keep our hands around. There's a crack in everything. There's a crack in Christianity right now. There's a lot of ugliness when the light shines in and we see the underbelly of this marriage between religion and politics in our culture. And yet, what we find is there's young people who went to chapel one morning not expecting anything to happen, just going through the motions, fulfilling the requirements, and yet God met them there. And it seems as though that's the way God works sometimes, in those quiet moments. And when He shows up, do we recognize that light that is coming through? So I want to close this morning by saying this. We're not so much invited to declare our allegiance to a system of beliefs, but rather to a way of living and a way of loving, to a vision where we take seriously what Jesus took seriously, things like inclusion, nonviolence, unconditional loving kindness and compassionate acceptance. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So don't be afraid of those moments when God says, I'm going to show up in our lives. Because what God wants to do in your life, just like he did in the life of Nicodemus, is to allow him enter, to enter into an experience where he was able to see where once he was blind. To finish off the story of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, here's this rabbi who didn't want to give away control, a Pharisee who didn't want to give away his power, who at the very end of the life of Jesus was one that helped to bury Jesus. He became fully committed because he allowed the light to come in. Join me in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, this concept of how the light gets into our life and how it changes us is very mysterious and it's full of paradox. And sometimes that's the way you work, in surprising ways. No hype and no manipulation just something that you do when you decide to do it. Help us to be open. Help us to be available. And help us, Lord, develop our faith in the process. For certainly mystery and paradox helps develop our faith, where our desire for certainty sometimes stunts our development. Today, Father, we just want to take these moments to say something happened when we met you and we're 
taking one step at a time, do what you want to do in our lives and accomplish what you want to accomplish in this world and allow us to be your hands and feet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for your attention this morning. I hope you have a a great rest of the day, okay?